Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. everyone uh this is another episode of the three questions with andy richter i continue to be andy richter and i am speaking to a very funny very talented uh multitasking force of entertainment uh ben schwartz hi hi andy how are you i'm good i'm good you're very busy these days you have like a ton of shit coming up usually i talk to people and it's like I guess, you know, like maybe see me do stand up or something, but you've got like <laughs> real projects to push. I mean, maybe you can maybe see me do improv. I can still play that angle as well. <laughs> you can maybe see me do improv and stuff at Largo when it opens back up or something right, like right. that. Uh, yeah, it's been a very, uh, I have, it's very crazy in that there's a stretch where not a lot happens. And then all of a sudden I have like three big things in three months right after another. Um, I almost wish I could have spanned them out a little bit wider so sure. it felt like, but now it's like, you know, it's all happening while one's going on, the other one's premiering and then some something else is happening. So it's, I feel very lucky and also like, oh man, are people going to be so annoyed? Uh, I'm just going to be like doing podcasts. I'm going to be like talking like this and people are going to be like, oh, we get it. He's Jewish. Yeah. 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 yeah no, it, it's, uh, it is nice though, because the promoting of it is then kind of isolated and not yeah, spread out. I could kind of do it all in like a month and a half yeah. or two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very exciting. Because people, I mean, it's, you know, like good, talking to you on a podcast is fun, but there's a lot of promoting things and it's not anything that you ever set. Like nobody goes like, man, I can't wait to promote stuff, you know, yeah. when they're a kid. It's you know the part, it's, it's drudgery. It's uh, talk shows for me because I was a page at Letterman. So talk shows for me are a big deal still and I love them very much. That's why yeah. I, I'm very... Uh, I know about your career and I've been following you for a very long time. And so, um, and then, uh, so like talk shows are really fun, but it's, the, they do these things called, um, I mean, they're just press days, but it's 12 hours and now it's done in front of your computer. Yeah. And I have two coming up where it's a domestic day and an international day, 12 hours of people asking you almost the same exact question. And then, cause there's three projects, it'll be that. And then uh, three weeks later, another, you know, each day is about another eight to 12 hour day of uh, stuff, which is fine. I like talking to human beings. I, that's the thing that um a lot of my friends hate press, but for me, it's like, oh, I get to talk to people and I like human beings and stuff like that. And I try to make them different, which I feel like is something that you did when you're on, on Kona and stuff like that. I, whenever I'm doing an interview like that, I try to make it different. So nothing, so like I'm having fun and it's weird. Yeah. Who cares after a while? Who cares? Right. Unless it's unique and different. Right. And also, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but when I, I mean, I haven't done like a junket junket, you know, like, the, like I haven't, <clears throat> I have, I think the most during these COVID times that I've had to be on zoom was like four or five hours. 
And that was awful. Like it was, I felt at the end of it, just weird and disconnected. And, yeah. and I have, you know, I have friends that are writing on shows and they're on these, this fucking thing 10 hours a day now, five days a week. I asked a question because I remember I did press for a long time one day and I felt so tired. Like yeah. I felt like, and, and then I looked it up and they said, there's this thing and tell me if you believe it or not. I think it makes sense is that our brains, while we're talking to people on Zoom, also look at ourselves to make sure that we look okay. Mm-hmm. And so our brains are working so much harder than a normal conversation or normal interview because we're always looking at ourselves. And yeah. so you exhaust yourself. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, that's exactly right. Like, I'll look at myself. I'll look, I'm, I'm talking to you and then every now and look at myself and be like, oh, fuck, and go like that. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a part of the whole thing. I actually have your screen turned off. It's just I have me full screen all the time. And there's a mirror in front of your fucking computer. So it's just you constantly looking it's at just, yourself. I can't get enough of me. I am so fuck. No, actually, I'm the opposite. It's like I'm the same as you. Like, I see myself and I'm like, oh, my God. Yes. How... How have I gotten this far in life looking like that? How does it's anyone rarely... look at that fucking pudding bucket of a head and go, yeah, I'll pay money for that? I'm, I, I, uh, the, I, I rarely look in the mirror. First of all, when I'm in the morning, when I get changed, I'll look in the mirror before I leave. But I mean, I will rarely look in the mirror. But it, I, I used to say that it's like when I looked in the mirror, I'm never like, oh, man, you're nailing it. It's always like, ugh, I guess it's this today. You know exactly. what I mean? It's because... It's I'm not impressed by what I, I, I look like a Muppet to me. So it's like, um, um, and then every now and then, like there'll be something happening where in a movie or something, they put me in like really cool clothes and they spend a bunch of time in hair and makeup. And I'm like, Oh my God, yeah. I could look like 5% better. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's also crazy because like, there's also two, you know, like I look back at, you know, I've spent my whole life being like, Oh my God, I need to lose weight. Oh, Jesus Christ. Drop a few pounds. Will you? And I'll see, I'll see like pictures of myself from 10, 15 years ago. And I'll be like, I look pretty goddamn good, like relatively. And I know that at that time, when that picture was taken, that I'm now going like, hey, look pretty good. I was going, I look like shit. I am garbage. I am a turd on legs. You know, just like you never, and you know, it's like you get, I feel like I wish I'd learned this lesson like before I was so old. You know, like, like to just be like, no, you look fine. You know, like we could talk hard. about this. It's hard to learn that. I, I think we can talk about this for a bit, but uh, there's people that are my parents' age that, uh, since I've known them growing up, like that that uh, age demographic. My parents are probably seventy five right now, and so around that. Um, so um, that I was like, every day you see them worrying about their weight since since I've been a little kid and going to yeah. my friends' houses and them dieting and da da da, and you're just like, and they. They torment themselves, and me watching that makes me torment myself a little bit too. And I'm like, ugh, I don't like the way I look. You know what I mean? But it's funny to to think that for 40 years, every day they were like, fuck, I hate this diet. Yeah. I hate what I'm doing. It's a very interesting. It's a very interesting thing to chat about. I think. But yeah, no, it's it's, uh, and I mean, <sighs> was there ever any pressure? While well, you said there was a time when you're like, yeah, I felt like I had to get a little. Was there ever pressure from? an NBC or anything like that to do something? Do they, is that a thing? Cause I remember back in the day, people would talk about that all the time. Uh, no, there was, when I got the, when I started working on the Conan show in 1993, um, I, I was engaged. My ex-wife and I were engaged at that point And she moved out pretty shortly after I, I moved to New York city. But 
I got there, I think, in like the end of May, beginning of June of 1993. And we didn't go on the air until September. So there was like these months of of just production and not, you know, trying to get this show together. And then even once we were on the air, we were on five days a week, 47 weeks a year. It was just constant. And the only break from your day, I mean, these are 14, 15 hour days. And, you know, in addition to me being on the show, which was just like new. So you're nervous and you're working your ass off. It's like a little extra thing and have no idea what we're doing. You know, I mean, like Conan had written for SNL and, and Robert Smigel had written for SNL and Dino Stamatopoulos was one of the first writers and he had written for Ben Stiller. But other than that, I don't think anybody had written for television really, uh, you know, like in any real way. So it's the best. I love it. You just, you know, you had to make it up. You had to just kind of figure it out. But our only break was getting fancy dinners delivered in. And within like the first six months of working on the Conan show, I gained like 30 pounds Oh because I was doing nothing but like eating chicken parm, you know, and, and, and you have this day of like stress and, and worry and everything. And then it's like, Oh, dinner time. You're not going to like order the fucking steamed, you know, chicken (laughs) breast. It's like, and there, and there were guys on the, on the staff too, that would order like two and three entrees just because it was that, Going from abs- having absolutely no money to having like NBC's paying for it. So yeah, I'll take two lobsters. You know, there's just- a there's a beat when um uh, when I first started doing uh, TV and movies where there's catering and when you're growing, you know, like first of all, you're right. When I was I lived in New York. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the Bronx and I lived in New York for oh, the majority of my life before I moved here. And so um didn't have any money when I was living in Manhattan. And, um, so I ate like, you know, you learned exactly how much it costs to get pizza. And then you learned the toppings, the not pepperoni, but you can learn like the free cheese and the free pepper, all the free stuff. And then you learn in Wendy's, the meal that was right next to me would cost $5. Yeah. And then, um, I started doing TV and movies and there's catering and there's a chicken option, a beef option. And, uh, and so, uh, you kind of look around you're like, and you could just have whatever you want. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you would, I would just eat fucking everything yeah. and then it'd be time to film and i'd be so tired and full <laughs> and groggy <laughs> but like yeah. it's incredible the idea of like take whatever you want blew my mind oh. it still kind of does it, yeah yeah when i i the movie cabin boy uh when Featuring i David like letterman one of my first yeah one of my first jobs uh like serious jobs when i was working on that i used to bring stuff from craft service like just for the weekend so i'd have food on the weekend so i wouldn't have to pay for food because i was still in that mindset like can i take this half loaf of bread and turkey slices you know i'll have have turkey sandwiches three of the you know like five meals i have this weekend so but anyway yeah going back to the conan show i did i put on a bunch of weight and the executive producer actually said like hey uh and also you know like i'm i'm bursting out of the clothes that they bought me to wear on the show. And he's like, Hey, you know, and I had actually, my, my ex-wife and I had already like started with a diet doctor, uh, like a classic New York diet doctor who basically just gave a speed, uh, that was, you know, <laughs> which I actually didn't like. I didn't like the way it made me feel, but my wife, my ex-wife was really into the speed portion of the diet. So, mm. uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, and I, I ended up, losing weight then and you know actually got down to like the lowest i've been since i was probably 14 years old like, wow yeah, Jesus. yeah then 
But I mean, I'm a large person. That was like uh, the most weight I could. I got down to 222 pounds. And that was the absolute. I had a 34 inch waist. Oh, my God. I, I haven't had a 34 inch waist. Like I say, I didn't have a 34 inch waist since I was like 12. Did you and, feel different at all? Yeah, I felt. No, I felt like skinny and kind of great. I mean, I still felt like. You know, I was. Uh, it's when you're 222 pounds and you can't buy a shirt because it won't close around your neck mm. and you can't buy a hat because you're size eight plus in hat. You know, I just am large. And so it's like I never feel like, oh, look at me, you know, the waif. I certainly uh, do have this heroin chic going. It's like, no, I mean, I could be, you know, I could get out of like some sort of Abu Ghraib and still be kind of, oh, it's a chunky fellow there, you know? So I, yeah, just, I mean, I've accepted it over the years. I'm still, I still, like you said, I don't like looking at myself and I don't like hearing myself, which people are always amazed by. Like, why do you do this for a living if you don't like looking at yourself or hearing yourself? It's like, well, you know, I mean, I'm good at it. So whatever, might as well. Do you have any idea what you would have done if you didn't do this? And also, by the way, if Conan didn't pick you up, what do you think? What do you think your career path would have been then? Would it have been just doing more movies, doing more television? What do you think? Yeah, it probably would have been. I would have stayed in L.A., and I would have auditioned things for things. And I think I I would have worked somewhere, you know. Absolutely, you would have. Um, But... And if I didn't get in the show business, like if I had been like scared of it, I'd probably be in ad- I'd probably be in Chicago working in advertising. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. Because I started out in uh I went to film school in Chicago and when I got out I worked on TV commercials and I just probably would have eventually not, you know, being a PA, you know, and being mm-hmm. doing props and doing AD work and yeah, video assist and stuff, just whatever job they'd give you. But I was around a lot of ad agency, ad agency people who were like, you're funny. Like, you know, like I did a, a gig, uh, industrial gig about, it was like for some company, it was a holding company. And we went around filming all their different, um, their different properties, which was like Saks Fifth Avenue, a paper mill, a series of hospitals, like just a fucking weird gig of going around with this little crew. And it was an ad agency from, Columbus, Ohio, that was running it. And I, you know, and part of your, when you're working on with a little group like that, you're, you're having dinner with them and having drinks with yeah. them, you know, pouring the booze down. Cause that is like a big feature of advertising is just drink, drink, drink. And really? um, yeah. Oh yeah. But advertising. I've directed commercials since too. Like in, and and it's, they are, I, I was directing commercial and I had to be on set at 6am and the ad people were mad at me. Cause I went to bed at 11 and didn't stay up drinking with them. That's so I, funny. I was like, yeah, I'm directing. Don't you want me to be fresh? You know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this guy, he said like, come to Columbus and I'll, I'll, you can, you can, you know, I'll give you a job writing ad copy for me. And I Amazing. was tempted, but then I was just like, no, I don't know. Columbus. Were you doing improv Olympic or no? I did an improv Olympic, uh, and annoyance. Oh, um, very cool. Yeah. And then we broke off and had our own group too. Yeah, now yeah. you're, you, you have, you're, you started in the, you grew up in the Bronx, right? Or I mean, you were born in the Bronx. Yes. I was born in Albert Einstein hospital. And then I grew up in the North Bronx. So you're totally right. My parents are from the South Bronx. My parents are from like 176 and Grand Ave. And then we moved up to Riverdale, which is the North Bronx. And what do, and, I mean, I'm the Bronx to me is kind of, uh, is a mystery. I don't know, but like, are they from like 
a rougher part of the Bronx and moved to a nicer part of the Bronx. That's exactly correct. They they were from a rougher part of the Bronx. My parent, my mom especially has a a thick Jewish Bronx accent, which is adorable. (laughs) And, uh, and you know, like her R's are funny sounding and she, uh, and if you get her in the right sentence, you make her, you have to, she has to repeat it, but she's like, they're both, uh, they're both very proud. I've I've noticed that people from uh, the Bronx are like very proud. So I'm very proud to be from North Bronx. My Production companies named after the street my dad grew up on, you know, and stuff like that. So it's um, we grew up in the North Bronx, which became a little bit more Jewish at the time. And then um, after I, w- I went to elementary school there, then we moved to Westchester. Do you know where that is? It's mm-hmm. like a little bit of above course. the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I lived in Edgemont and Westchester, which is near Yonkers and Scarsdale. And then I moved. Uh, then I went to college in upstate New York. So I every part of my life uh, was in New York. I was kind of afraid to leave it. I went to a place called Union College where I graduated with a psych anthro degree. Uh, then I moved to Manhattan to do comedy. And then in 2009, I moved to LA. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was always every aspect of my youth was New York, yeah. different parts. And then came here in 2009, which is crazy to me to think that I've been here for longer than I was like living in Manhattan to do comedy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's baffling to me because yeah. it feels like. Still feels like New York is home, even though that this is I, this is truly where I've been for far longer. Right. I had the same thing for years. Um, after moving out here, we moved out here in two thousand and one, and I was probably you came five. from Michigan. No, I came out. I was in New York for. Oh, oh. I mean, I mean, from Conan, from Conan ending oh, for me leaving. Not Conan ending, but Conan ending for me in two thousand. We moved out here in two thousand and one, and I started. That was like the last. That's when I moved out here and I've lived here since. And it took about five years of going back to New York City and, you know, going from the airport to a hotel and hitting Manhattan and feeling like, oh, I'm home finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took five. And then, you know, and then after a while, it's like, look, you got to I fucking live in L.A. I got to admit to myself that I live in Los Angeles. And I still kind of have that. I still when I go back to New York, although it's. You know, it is weird for shit to change so much that it's just... I agree. It's really strange there just how quickly so much changes, you know? I totally agree. And it's funny. Uh, I used to say that it's like, you know, this is a nerdy reference, but Superman, the way he gets more power is by going to the sun and it like charges him up a little bit. So I was like, for me, like going there is like charging me up. And then after a while, I spent, and then like I had to shoot like during a winter in New York. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> fucking what is this shit? I forgot how cold it is yeah, here. Yeah. And so like, and so we would do that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I love New York. I love visiting my family. But I, I was like, I don't know. Uh, now that I'm in LA and you get way more space, it's harder to think about living. I mean, my apartment in Manhattan was, it was a studio apartment. It wasn't even a one bedroom. My couch touched my bed. My bed touched my chair where my desk was. I had like a small television that had like, you know, a freaking uh, VHS thing and like a small, there's yeah, no room yeah. for anything. Right. My kitchen was, uh, you could touch every part of my kitchen and then, t- you know, go into the bathroom, which is, so I never, exper- there's also a funny thing um, where it's like now uh, I've been very fortunate and had some success. And sometimes my friend's like, oh, you're from New York. I'm going there. Where should I eat? I was like, I have no idea. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have money. I had no money when I lived there. Right. I can't tell you in a million years where to eat. Um, uh, and even I, if you had money, it wouldn't be this, everything is changed, you know? It I is mean, totally different. Even UCB doesn't exist in New York I anymore. Know, it's, it's not there. Even the one in Chelsea, the one that like I grew up in and, and watched Amy perform every week. And uh, so it's like, it's crazy to me to go back and it's just a little bit different. Yeah. 
But is you don't want to miss UCB on the Lower East Side either. No, no, that's gone also. I think all oh, the wow. ones in New York are gone. The only one left is the one on Franklin in Los yeah. Angeles, and I'm not yeah. quite certain what's going to happen uh, with those guys. Yeah, um, I perform at Largo now, so I don't, I'm not as uh, involved with UCB, but um, I know that I think that's the last one uh, left. Yeah, um, you it's know, a you shame. Know I, I mean, COVID really kind of it destroyed well, it. Yeah, they got so big, and then and you know, and I mean, I don't even know what to think about all this kind of. People aren't getting paid to do shows. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even know what to say about that because I came up in a system where I didn't get paid to do shows, you know, and I just kind of, you just kind of accepted it. And it was like, there's not that much money to go around and nobody's getting rich. So it's not like, you know, so it's I, a I di- mean, it's a different thing. And also I'll say with Largo, where I perform now, they pay the performers. So yes. I get paid, let's say I do Ben Schwartz and friends. So they'll pay me. So now I have the ability to pay everybody that I, that I come yes. and improvise. So like, yeah. it's a very exciting feeling that I get to hand checks out after every single show to these people, because for 15 years of my life, uh, and you know, probably like, you know, uh, 12 of them doing sold out shows, never got a, a dollar, but never thought about it. Right. Because it was like the way for me to get my voice and be around all these creative people. And hopefully one day I'll get a commercial or a commercial agent from it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to be some of the most fun. I don't know if you think about it the same, but it's like the beginning part where I was hustling and nobody cared about us. And we were trying so hard. I was doing the garbage at UCB for free classes. I remember we used to beg the manager, Chuck D, who unfortunately passed passed away, but he was the best. We would say, hey, when we're done with the garbage, can me and my friends just jump on stage? Nobody's there, right? Yeah, just jump yeah. on stage and do improv on the same stage that Amy was on and Matt was on. And it would be such a big deal to us. So just being in that world was um, amazing. But I understand the argument people are making. But the place that you came from, those people came and made our place. So exactly yeah. what your points of view are, are the ones that the creators of our place. Made. Yeah. And it, is, and it is like, it always was sort of like... I mean, you know, like I started with Improv Olympic and there's a woman named Sharna Halpern that, yeah. you know, she she took care of Del Close, who was the, you know, basically the inventor of long form improv, at least, you, you know, the the person that stayed doing it, you know, his whole life. Yeah. And she took care of him as like, you know, like a some kind of national treasure, you know, and I always kind of look at it and she, you know, and she made her living off of doing Improv Olympic and you know, have pay, have kids play for classes, but I always kind of felt like, look, I don't want to be Dell zookeeper. Like, I don't want to worry about where our next show is going to be. I don't want to, you know, it's, there's always going to be a money side to show business. There's going to be a money side and there's going to be a creative side. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I don't, I, I don't know. I just can't like, yeah, everyone should get paid, but also kind of like, yeah, but, you know, if you're doing a fucking improv show, don't, <laughs> you know, you're not, you, you know, you're not a headliner. You're doing an improv show. Right, right, right. And, and, and the tickets are five bucks at UCB. And the tickets are five bucks and it's very loose and it's not about money. It, I, I mean, it just isn't. It, yeah, I, I get it. Somebody's, you know, some, somebody's getting that five bucks. Okay, whatever. But the idea is that, you, you know, it's, this is, this is where you're sort of putting in time. And money will come later, like you, like you said. I think that was know? the that was like the pitch for UCB, and especially for when we were there for uh, me and my friends. It was like, yeah, this is this is where we kind of like work our asses off to hopefully one day 
because how impossible, I mean, the internet, YouTube was barely alive and yeah. how do you get anybody to care about you? How do you get anybody to look at you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's also something funny that someone said once, uh, it was an older improviser at the time. And he's like, I don't know how long I can do this. Like, how long do you want to watch someone pretend to be a pirate farting on the moon? Yes. Until it's like, if I'm 70 and doing it, is, does anybody want to see that? And I was like, oh <laughs> shit. I, I never thought if there's like a, an end point. Yeah. Um, because all the people I look up to are, you know, probably uh, 15, 20 years older than me and they're still hilarious. So it's yeah. like, I wonder if there is. Right now I'm I'm touring with a group called Ben Schwartz. It's just me and a bunch of my friends, Ben Schwartz and friends. And we're going to play venues hopefully pretty soon. And it's like, uh, we play Largo, but, and I was like- Is this all improv or is it stand-up and improv? All of it is improv. So oh, I get okay. a suggestion at the top and um, uh, I talk I talk to the audience at the top and then we just make up a whole show, no breaks, all the way through for an hour. Yeah. And um, super fun. Like, it's it's great, but it's like- it um, just like free form, long form improv or is there sort of, you know, like a game built in where you no, try no and game. wrap it's things totally, up? No game. It's totally, yeah. it's like a montage or like- there's there's a couple of different groups I've done it with. There's a group called you know Shitty Jobs at UCB, and then I had a two person show with Thomas Middleditch called Middleditch and Schwartz, which we mm-hmm. played Carnegie Hall, and and now this has been Schwartz and Friends, where it's basically anything can happen. I love the idea that the show is open enough where anything can happen. Zero things are planned, but we're gonna have hopefully an hour long show that shows you you know that makes you laugh and has connective tissue throughout. And I've learned that uh, when I've toured in the past that it's like the first time. 70% of these people in the audience have ever even heard of improv. Yeah. So if we go to, you know, Boston or New York, maybe some people know, but then we're in Wisconsin and now we're in Denver and like less and less people know about it. And it's just trying to sell what we do first and to, to get people excited about it is very yeah. exciting for me because you're right. Even in touring, there's not, you're not doing it for the money. I'm not going to make a ton of money touring. I'm not right. like, you know, I'm not Seinfeld. So it's more for like play these cool venues. I always loved looking at, and then um and just hang out with your friends. Get to that's literally what friends. it is. It's so fun. Yeah. It's still so fun to do. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can't you tell my loves are growing? You know, the, uh, I went into improv. I did not go into stand-up because I don't. Did like, you try? Uh, I mean, I've tried. I tried a- after I was already on TV. Oh, okay. Just because it seemed like, and I mean, and I'm not putting it. You know, I I, I could do it again, and I kind of, you know, like I was actually 
before Largo shut down for the fourth time or whatever it's been, I was doing a show that was kind of under the under the wings of the Team Coco show that they were doing, where uh, I would sort of, it was basically a showcase and I would open up the showcase and then comic, it was just comics. We only did it a couple of times. Comics would come out and then I would interview them immediately after their set. Oh, that's a great fun About thing. things that are in there. Like if they talk about their mother, it's like, okay, let's talk about your mother more. You know, sort of like, and I, I, I called it the follow-up. So I had to do, you know, I, the hardest thing for me was- I love that up. idea. I think that's a great idea. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And uh, the hardest thing was coming up with those 10, 15 minutes that I had to do at the top because I just, yes. it's, and the, you know, the problem with standup is like, I don't want to go on stage and eat it. I don't want to go on stage and bomb. I don't want, I mean, I'm old I and mean, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm used to doing fine. You know, I'm used to doing well and not, and doing well, not even preparing. So it's like when you prepare something and it's kind of you're sitting there in front of silence, it's like, oh, fuck, I should have just fucked around and made shit up. Yeah. Um, but that's it's it's something I can do, but it's not something that I like. I, I'm not, it's way more. I want to get that over with and then get to where I'm talking to the funny person. Yes. You, know? you like the interview part at the end. I like the like talk to the funny person. I like the spontaneous part. I like the part where it's a surprise. Well, do you like this then? Are you really in love with the podcast idea and you doing this podcast? Does it hit something in your brain that you really, not me in particular, I'm talking about your, your show. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's like, it's a lot though. <laughs> it's like I've done over, I'm, I mean, I'm getting to be like, in like 110 of wow. these. Yeah. So that's, it's a lot of interviewing and it's not, I mean, I, I absolutely enjoy it while I'm doing it, but then when it's like, wait, who we got to What? There's yeah, how many more do we imagine. have to do? Yeah. Um, but no, I like it. I do like it. And I like, and like I say, I, there's discovery and it's really good when, you know, the idea that this show, I did want kind of it to be about introspection and people kind of thinking like, oh yeah, the, my dad was that way. So I, I guess I kind of am that way too, you know, those mm -hmm, kind of connections mm -hmm. to make, but it's also mostly, you know, it's, it's supposed to be funny and enjoyable and yeah, keep, I think also keep people entertained at their desk. For improv and for most of the stuff I do, it's like, hey, if it's if it's still fun, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. As long as people, I'm not annoying people. If I still have get illicit joy from you know acting or improv or voiceover work, I'm gonna keep doing it until people tell me that they don't want me to do it anymore. So it's like, I love improv; it makes me happy. Yeah. So I've been doing it since 2002. It's yeah. almost been 20 fucking years. So um. Um, you know, sometimes I'm tired and to do another show on a Saturday night is a lot, but also when the second I get up there, I don't remember any of that. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Best. Once you do it, it's, it, it's an, an adrenaline thing kicks over. But I mean, I remember towards the end of the TBS run of the TBS show, like Conan and I having conversations about that. We're like, you know, men with practically grown children and we're still doing bits you know, yeah. it's still like we're still like thinking like, did you hear what Miley Cyrus did? We got to do something about that. And it just seems so, you know, it's like when you're 20, 30, it's like, OK, yeah. But as you get older, it just seems so undignified to be like, let's do a funny little bit for people. Also about know? a pop culture thing yes. is also even more demoralized. Yes. Yes. Like, oh, this blank, blank mm -hmm. music star just farted on camera. Yes, well, we yes. know. I'm, I, so I used to freelance for Letterman's monologue and then I used to freelance for Weekend Update when I first started. And it would be me reading the headlines 
and then being like, well, Letterman will make fun of this. Paris Hilton got her an accident, 100%. Letterman's going to have 20 jokes on this. And for Weekend Update, it'd be like the strangest story I could find. And so you kind of you kind of learn. But I remember it becomes like demoralizing to be like, you know, whoever at the time is famous, something happens and you know that's the realm yeah. of what's going to be made fun of. Right. And that you learn is that person's what, cadence. That is the ingredient you're making dinner with tonight. There, Andy, there was one of the first things, probably, uh, probably the first or second time I was ever on TV was doing a bit for Conan on Late Night. And it was, uh, remember that fucking robot costume they had yeah you, you needed to be around six feet tall to be in it and so they put me in it once i did that once and then one time i was like a page i was pretending to be like an intern or a page and flying and that was like the revolving door of ucb like incredible people yeah um so i got to like do that a couple times <coughs> what years was this so was nervous. i still there or what had i left I definitely have done Conan with you at least twice, okay. but I think it might have been the newer ones. I don't know if, but that's me as a guest. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. No, I know you've been on you as a guest, for? but I mean, well, I it started in 93 and I left in 2000. So if it was after 2000, because then he did another eight or nine years without me. Yeah. Uh, the the grim years, the the years. That's that really, what people call it. People oh my don't God. Even, it's not even a thing that existed. The to- Conan's toilet era. It's like he was living <laughs> in a toilet. Yeah, yeah. Um, supposedly you could barely hear him talk over the bubble. <laughs> yeah. Well, now were you? Uh, did you know you wanted? I mean, you knew you were funny. I mean, everybody knows they're funny if they're funny usually. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and is it something that like you were doing in high school? Were you? doing stuff with your friends or were you just like a fan consuming? It was the opposite. I was a fan. It was the opposite in high school. I was too afraid to audition for the musical or anything. Cause I didn't, I was too afraid of everybody telling me I'm bad. Yeah. I was too afraid to fail. There's a good way of putting sure, it. Sure. Sure. Was it a and big school too? No, my, I, I went to all public schools, but it, I mean the first, you know, in the Bronx, obviously it was a, a, a billion people in a classroom, but then in Westchester, you know, there's all these U.S. News and World Reports about the best high schools. Yeah, and this right. was one of those top public schools. So the class sizes were were like nice. Um, but I was really afraid of failing. And that and that fear followed me all through college when I could have auditioned for improv. And I didn't until I had a girlfriend who pushed me and forced me to audition junior year of college. And I was I've never been more nervous for anything. And I auditioned and I got on. And all of a sudden I felt validated and then I could like take risks because someone right. else who was funny, I think I was like, yeah, everybody thought I was the funny guy, but nobody who was like the, fu- who was like doing something that's considered comedy called me a funny guy. So I, I, you know, and being, I didn't, everybody, my, my mom's a Bronx school teacher and my dad was the director of the YMHA. And then he is the Jewish version of the YMCA. And then he mm-hmm. was a real estate uh, gentleman and buying and selling properties and, um, uh, and, um, so I didn't know anybody that did this. So it was like being an astronaut. I didn't know yeah. anybody. So I could never yeah, no, watch I, SNL. I say for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, we're thought, not dreaming about it. Cause we don't even I like think it's TV. a dream. Yeah. I like TV. It's funny to be, you know, it'd be great. To, it's, I like funny TV. I like being funny. People tell me I'm funny, but I don't know what to, you know, like it was, yeah, it's that's like, exactly it's like right. saying I'm going to be Miss America or, you know, that's right. Neil Armstrong. Like our no, friends would have made fun of us. That. Yeah. No, of course they would have made fun of us. We don't know anybody that does this. Yeah. To meet a fa- we've never met a famous person before. Right. So it's like, so to me at the beginning, it was, so uh, you know, I won like class clown in high school. Yeah. 
Um, but I was, you know, I, I was a psychology and anthropology major in college because yeah. I didn't know that this was a thing. And I would never dare to think I could be funny enough to be on television. But yeah. I would videotape, uh, you know, um, Dana Carvey on SNL and I would videotape every, you know, like I had tapes of all my favorite things and I'd watch them, you know, over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, Un- I loved it. So unrealizing much. that you're studying it. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't yeah. do it for studying at all, but would would keep repeating it, but it's never so doing good. it as if I was trained. It wasn't Rocky right. Four montage. It right, was just right. enjoyment. That's actually what you, you know, you're saying like having a funny person say you're funny. I, you know, there's all kinds of things that people that just become tropes. And one of them is like, you got to believe in yourself and you got to have this like undying belief in your own talent and stuff. And that seems like, ma- like, a maniac would that's be like a narcissist it's an yeah. ego it's just it's driven like, by ego especially with being funny like because being funny is such a it, it, it's such like a nebulous thing and it changes you know like that's yeah. the thing too about our line of work is very perishable yes like what's what was funny 20 years ago and you can go in your mind and think about people that were gigantic yeah who now nobody gives a shit about because oh they my just God. Their comedy just didn't wear, didn't last. It didn't wear well. There's people you know? who sold out Madison Square Garden that can't get jobs right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And that's just the way this is. I mean, it's, I think it's even kind of worse than music because you can, like, you can listen to a song repeatedly, but you can't listen to like Andrew Dice Clay's stand up <laughs> the same way that you can listen to the Rolling Stones or whatever, you know? Well, also jokes are expired. I love the way you use perishable because I think jokes become expired. Me writing yeah. those monologue jokes, if I looked at them now, I'd be like, oh God, I c- yeah. you can't say any of this. It all sucks now. Or like you think about Conan's monologue coming up. If you looked at the stuff you guys did, there are great bits that are evergreen, but then there's stuff that's like, oh God, Jesus, no, it doesn't yeah, work yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's stuff that, espe- yeah, especially just like with political changes, like there's- yes. Uh, you, you know, there have been, there have been people on like on Twitter or, or Instagram throwing old Conan bits in our face, you know, in my face sure. and, and being like, well, yeah, that was 1994. Yeah. That, that that's, yeah. That makes me wince now, you know, yeah. kind of like, you know, where the point of the bid is like, this guy's queer, you know, like, <laughs> right, 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 like you right, could, right, right. you would still kind of do bits like that, that like, Oh, this guy's gay. And, now that was the like, character trait of the whole guy. Yeah, like that was what was funny about this guy. And, right. A, fl- and, a flawed way to look at things. Yeah. Now. And I mean, and you kind of, but as you, you know, as you go on, you realize like, oh, wait, that's not funny. And you have to start thinking about, you know, like I always, I always try to think about everybody that's hearing this bit or this joke that's not like me. Like everyone who's not white, who's not male, who's not straight, who's not, right. you know boring midwestern you know slice of wonder bread guy and i think like well is the joke like is this joke work for everybody you know like i was you know like the old joke that would always be sort of this kind of tropey joke about um hey we need to get people to watch this thing and then they put in a sexy lady you know that's the joke is like because everyone likes to look at titties and it's like no no just met you know like that's like that's not every like titties are not necessarily a universal like like yeah bring on the titties it's like no there's a lot of people who don't give a shit about titties you know your so, autobiography is called yeah bring out the titties though right? bring out the titties yep yep well I, but I mean 
it's it's a it's of a time. That's the whole point of it. Of course, you, know? you don't have to tell me. It was I in the, the heyday of titties. Titties, you know, now titties are looked down on. No, come on, what are we doing? <laughs> there, when you said the the person has to think that every that they're so funny and they believe in themselves so much, I think I would come back and say the thing that helped me was work harder. I had to. I worked. I tried to work harder than everybody because I looked at UCB and I was like, okay, I'm funny and I can make people laugh and people are coming to see me, but. So was fucking a hundred other people. So are a hundred yeah. other people in this thing and funnier than I am by far. Yeah. So I was like, but if I work really hard and really like put in the time and write sketches all day long and write, you know, TV shows and movies, if I work a little bit harder, then I'll get a little bit luckier. And I think that's what I did. Um, and that's really what helped me in my career. I put my head down and I was like, this is all I want to do. I don't want to fuck it up. So I just kept working and never stopped you know, because I love, we love it also. Like it's a yeah. fun thing. It's uh, we're You're very, very lucky. prolific too. You have it like you have an, a, an amazing work ethic. Like the amount of just stuff that you do is, is enviable. Cause I, you know, I don't have that kind of work ethic and I'm much more, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm much more of a collaborator. Like I kind of yeah. sit around and wait for someone to, you know, say like, Hey, come on over here and help us out with this thing rather than, I mean, I have some of my own ideas, but it's just not as natural as I know a lot of people that just can't not be making the next thing. Yes. And I can absolutely not be making the next thing. <laughs> I can, it's like, I'm not making the next thing. I'm making chili. Uh, I'm making brownies. I, you know, I'm, I'm cleaning the garage. Uh, you know, I can, I can very easily get away from. It's funny. I, people see the work ethic in me. And then when it turns to like working out, I hate, hate yeah, working yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I see some of my friends get, they're just so good at it every day yeah. they can do it. And I'm envious of them. I was like, I wish I got the joy and the, and the like, yeah, out of working out because then I would be able to do it all the time. And it's the same. And that's what I'm sure some people look at me when it's like, you're up till two in the morning writing again, or I sacrifice a weekend because I have to get a deadline done. It's like, I'm still like, oh man, I want to do, I want to make this good. And maybe this one will get on the air and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's the feeling that I feel about people working out sometimes look at me sometimes yeah. with work and be like, oh, well, you're getting joy out of fucking like making shit up on stage at 9 p.m. or midnight. And so, yeah. Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? When do you start feeling like I can do this for a living? You know, I mean, are you are you are you doing side jobs while you're starting out? I mean, are you in New York? Oh my God, waiting yeah. tables and me? shit. Yeah. So I I had I was a sneaker salesman at the beginning in a store called Athlete's Foot, and then you know I had summer jobs when I was uh, every summer I had a job. I I I worked. My family is also, uh, and which is I, I know that this podcast goes into that stuff. So it's like. 
My family is a very hardworking family. My family's from the South Bronx. They worked their fucking ass off to get, they were poor, very poor. And slowly my parents got a little bit of money and then they were able to get enough money to move us to a, a different part of the neighborhood. And their work ethic was, my mom for 53 years was a music teacher in the Bronx. Every yeah. day went to that. And then my dad worked his ass off. So it's like that work ethic and that, you know, like go for it. So before- there's You soaked that up. Yeah. Absolutely. There are things yeah. called working papers that when you're young, you have to get working papers to legally be allowed to be hired for something. Mm-hmm. And I think we lied and said, uh, I had working papers before I was legally allowed to work in a place. Wow. And I was a camp counselor. And the way we got away with it was- I did the garbage in the morning. So in the morning I went to, uh, there was a, uh, man, I haven't thought about this in so long, but there is, there's an elementary school where they had the summer camp. Yeah. And I was like, like I want to be a camp. camp. Not That's a sleepover. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, I never went to sleepover camp. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I was like, I want to be a counselor. And they said, legally, you can't be a counselor, but if we hire you to do the garbage in the morning, so I would go to the place and, uh, pick up all the broken forties because you know, like high schoolers would drink it. Sure, like, sure. Of course. Um, and so I'd bring, I, I had these gloves and I was really young and picking up forties. And then for the second half of the day, I would be a counselor and stuff like that. Um, so from then, and so every summer I had, uh, we would have a job. Uh, and then when I graduated college, I became a page at Letterman, um, oh, with, nice. with no hookups, didn't know anybody went in, talked to someone, didn't interview, and was able to, because I didn't know anybody in the business, zero yeah. people. So that's great. Was, yes. Denied from the NBC page program, which I guess is the hardest fucking program in the universe. Mm-hmm. It's like very, uh, whatever, but got paid $10 an hour to be a page. Then got, uh, um, they let me do freelance monologue jokes. And back then you had to fax them in. Yeah. So I had to pay for a fax machine and a landline. And so basically the jokes that I got on the air would just pay for the things that I was using yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. fax the jokes in. How did you but that, get the nerve to ask, can I send jokes? That's a great question. So I didn't. I was too scared. Yeah. So Because you're what, uh, like 20, 21 maybe? At this time, so I graduated college. I was I just turned 21 yeah. when I graduated college. Um, oh, I was 21. So I was probably doing Letterman at 22, 21 and a half, you know, like near my 21, 22. So people who were intern, I was a page. So as a page, all I did was let people into the audience, make sure everybody was happy, give them their tickets. And when they're watching the show, if they'd take a piss, I'd be like, no, just wait, 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 wait for the commercial break, wait for the commercial break. And <laughs> yeah, then yeah, you wait yeah. and then you show them where the bathroom is. Right, right. Um, so that was it. And so I was watching it, but I was doing UCB and people were starting to come, to come see me a little bit. So a couple of the interns uh, became pages and because they were interns, they knew the writers. And so those guys got the jobs freelancing, uh, whatever. And there's a lovely gentleman named Greg who I said, hey, do you think it's possible for maybe? And he says, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give you the guy's email. So I emailed the guy. Um, his name was Steve Young at the time. Uh-huh. And he, uh, and I said, uh, he was he like goes, the, the coordinator for the monologue. He was, he was the, mon- exactly. Yeah. And so he said, um, well, we're all full up right now. And I said, I totally get it. I'm only here for, I'm only allowed to be a page for another blank months. I'll check later. I'm, thank you for even talking to me. I wait a couple more months. And I was like, how about now? He goes, okay, you could put in three jokes a day, which as you, if, if you've ever freelanced for a monologue, that's nothing. Like yeah, by yeah, the, yeah. by the time I was going, it's 15 jokes every day. Right. Right. So if and he gave me notes. More, yeah, exactly. He yeah. gave me notes on all my jokes. Like my setups would be too long for Letterman. So he'd teach me how to do it. He's like, you got to make them smaller. Look at how he, his cadence. It's not you making a joke. It's him making a joke. Yeah. So your setups have to be small and then your punch has to be blank. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I got one on and 
the second I got one on, he immediately was like, you have to sign a contract and like all of a sudden, like everything, everything became official, Mm -hmm. but it was $75 a joke. I don't know what it was at Conan, $75 a joke that you got on. And I would write, so my website, rejectedjokes.com and my Twitter handle and all that started from, I took all my jokes that got rejected and I said, how can I stand out on the internet so people outside of New York can see me? And I would perform the rejected jokes to an audience of zero people at UCB. Uh-huh. And I would film myself doing the jokes that got rejected. And that's yeah. how I like started my web presence, yeah. if you will. Right, right. Um, no. Yeah, there's no better way to put it. it just, but I uh, asked yeah. this intern who's a page and a friend of mine, Greg Volk was his name. And then he was kind enough to set me up with this person who said no. And I was very gracious and didn't push. And then uh, he said, check later on. And I was about to leave and, you know, whatever. And then I said, hey, how about now? And he said, yes. And then they loved me being paid so much, they extended how long I could be a page. So I used to be able to be in the audience watching Letterman to see if he was going to say one of my jokes. And it was so like, and you never would know. And there's an episode where, because this must be ingrained in your head for Conan, but for me as a page, I'm watching Letterman every single day. When he's done with his monologue, he puts his hand like this and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Schaefer in the CBS Orchestra. And then Paul plays. And I know as a writer, I didn't get any jokes on that day. But the second he goes, the right. second his hand goes like this, I know he's about to point and get out of there. Yeah. Because as you know, it becomes, or everything's a routine in late night. Like when Conan's done with his monologue, you could see it in his face when he's about to throw it to Jimmy, you know what yeah. I mean? Or something like that. So it's like, um, and there's an episode where it was like, Two weeks in a row, I didn't get one on. And I'm in the back telling people where to go to the bathroom. I go, fuck, at the top of my lungs. And the <laughs> the the audience coordinator, like his eyes like popped open. He's like, Ben, what the what are you doing? You can't, you can't talk let alone curse. I go, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, but I do remember that. Him telling me I'm not allowed to curse when I get jokes on when I don't right, get jokes right, on. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't really talk about it with the other pages because I didn't want them to feel bad. I don't want to, I don't want to be like. Because a, a bunch of them weren't doing it. So I didn't want them to be upset that they weren't getting mm-hmm. this opportunity. Um, but I and think also, me, yeah. you don't want, you don't want to send a bunch of pages to the guy that's your in. Yeah. You'd be you know, like, you over realize, your connection. Like, yeah. You realize, you, you know, you realize at that level, I mean, cause there's other, you know, having been on a show like that forever and always having interns coming in and out, you know, there would be kids occasionally that would, well, and you could tell the difference. You can tell the difference between like, because there were some interns that were funny and that you kind of get like, okay, yeah, you, you're funny. You're like yes. one of them. Yes. And then there are other kids that are just ambitious and entitled. And they're the ones that are like, wait, why do I have to make Xerox copies? I'm, yeah. I'm here to learn about television. And it's like, yeah, you learn by making fucking Xerox copies. That's, that's right. That's how you start learning, you know? You get coffee for people. That's your first lesson in television is yeah. getting coffee for people. Yes. Um, and, that you know, so it's weird when somebody's like, hey, could I show you some of my material? And there's also like the weird technicality of, well, you have to sign a release. Yes. Because if we do something similar to it, you can sue us. And, uh, you know, 100%. That's it's like, all the same with people who want to send me scripts. Radioactive. Yeah. I also think the more power, you, the, the older you get, and the more power you get the more you're able to kind of do those things every now and then. Like, but you're right. Me as someone who's the lowest on the food chain as a page, I couldn't, 
I couldn't be like, yeah, I'll help you out. I just knew I couldn't ask that favor. Yeah. Um, but then like slowly, you know, like let's say I'm on a show and I'm one of the leads and I've been there for four years and I know my friend would be good for a role. Then I'm starting to like, anytime yes. I can build, anytime I can build people up who I think deserve it, I really do. Yeah. Um, I, I've tried to in my career, always try to pull people up anytime I could. Um, but it's always the people that deserve it because you're right. You could tell when someone's really funny and they're talented and they're kind and they're going to be good on set. And you could tell when people are just like, think they should have it and they think they're funny, but you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah. And I'm sorry, listeners. That's just how it is. We're come up to us and try and be funny. We will judge you whether, <laughs> whether, whether you got what it takes or not. I'm going to be excited. You want to have anything to do with comedy, no matter what, <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. can't get you a job, yes, especially yes. if you're not funny. <laughs> right, right. No, people are fucking crazy. Like I've had people like come up to me on the street and be like, I've written a novel here. Let me give it to you. And like, dude, I don't know how, if I wore a novel, I wouldn't know how to get it fucking published. Like, what are you, a not like me? What are you doing? I don't know how to do any of that. Never dropping. Someone once delivered uh, my food and uh, recognized me when he delivered my food and then went back in his car and got a script. He must've just had his script ready for if he ever sure. recognized anybody. And he's like, can you read this? I was like, I can't. And I legally can't because exactly what you said, I'm writing all yeah. these movies if his movie is exactly like one of mine, then he's going to think I stole his movie. I was like, right. I can't. I'm so sorry. Um, but it is very funny. But there, there is a part of like, you have to hustle, I think, and work really hard. But you have to learn what that is and not be a hindrance to people and not be mean and be kind. And yeah. I think kindness goes a long way. Not yeah. be an asshole. Like, you can't be an asshole. I went to film school and there was all kinds of, you know, we were supposed to be trot by working professionals, which they were kind of work. You know, like they kind of did. They mostly were teachers and they would give all kinds of advice about like if you see a producer go up to them i mean the worst they can do is say no and you hear that and you think oh okay but then you get out in the world for three seconds and you're like no no the worst they can do is remember you as the one who rudely interrupted their lunch and shoved a shitty script in their hand or yes. you know wasted their time or just was rude you know um you know, it, it, you have to get, you, you have to have a touch. You know, you have to like. I agree. It's also when, it's when such a, uh, the, the beginning of this industry is so hard because yeah. I remember when I was a kid, it's like kid, but uh, I remember yeah, 20 well. years ago when it was like, um, all right, well, I want to get jobs. Well, what do I need? You need an agent. How do you get an agent? You got to get jobs. I was like, yeah, what yeah. the fuck? How, you, get, you have to get jobs to get an agent, but the only way to get, so it was like, so it's so hard. You got to want it so much that you're fine with all the struggle and you don't make money for a fucking long time. Yeah. So it's like, you got to be okay with all that. And you got to make sure that you're not doing it just because you want to be famous. You saw someone get a million views on something and you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got to love it. And then you get, and then you get to be around for a while. I mean, yep. you fucking have done comedy on network television and then to TBS for what was it? 30 years? Something like that. It's, That's I insane. can't even, it's when I, it, it doesn't even make sense. To Do me. you get residuals, like, Andy? Uh, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. You they're have not 30 like, years of residuals. They're not like huge. They're honestly, they're not huge. I mean, the bigger residuals are from, you know, like I did Mad the Madagascar movies and that's was the biggest. Oh, those are the best. The best cash cow compared to, especially like when you do it, the work over pay ratio, like, the work is like how many hours? Yeah. Oh my God. You know, like there was, I think it was like the third Madagascar movie. I figured out that I 
spent approximately 10 times more promoting it than I did recording it, you know, just like doing it. The time that it took to do interviews about it was like way more than just being yeah. in a booth and going like, Oh no, look out, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I, uh, the residuals they're you know, they're, 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 you know, they're like car payments. You know, they're like, they're like, you know, they take care of car payments and maybe the water bill. You know, that's I still kind of look at things in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So, what is there something that you're not doing that you that you're like some part of your career that's not hitting that you'd like to, or even in your personal life? I mean, you know, I think is, for are you for, looking for a, a a bunch of sister wives? You know, uh, <laughs> what was that movie? What was that TV show on HBO where the gentleman had a hundred wives or five wives? Oh yeah. It was uh, big yeah, it love. Was the no. yeah, exactly, exactly. Something like that. The Mormon um, show. Yeah. The Mormon show. A lot of people call yeah. it the Mormon show. The the business wise, uh, I directed a couple things uh, on the internet, and I had the opportunity, or I wrote a movie. So I write movies for places, and I wrote an independent movie for myself that it looked like was going to get made, but then COVID hit, and we lost half our funding. And I was like, that would be exciting to direct something, but I don't have. I'm more. This is being very honest. I'm. I know it's going to be fun and exciting, but it's scary directing a movie. Like I, I've directed a lot of things, a lot of commercials, a lot of branded content, and I've directed 12 minute episodes of a, a show I created called The Earliest Show that's on the internet, but a 90 minute movie where it's like yeah. real stuff in my life that I really care about. Um, I'm scared by it. So it's like, I find it scary. I'm not scared by it, but I find it intimidating. Yeah. I really want to do it. And one of the reasons why was this script I really liked. And I thought to myself, um, if anybody's going to screw it up, I want it to be me. I'm the person who fucked it up. Yeah, like that's yeah. how I think about it, which is a kind of weird way of thinking, but it's like, listen, if I give the script to a different director and that director messes it up, what I had in my head, I'd be so bummed that yeah, I wasn't yeah. the one who messed it up. Cause this is the one that I saved for myself to direct. And so I think directing would be fun. And you know, I like have dreams of directors that I want to play with and work with and, and be directed by. And I want to do a Pixar movie because I love animated films so much. Yeah. So it's like um, all those things are floating in the ether, but I think directing would be the next thing, but it's not like my whole life is like, I got to, I got to, I got to. It's like, I want to I, I do this one time and see how it feels. And I want to do it on something that if I screwed up, it's my own thing or whatever. And if it's a success, it feels like, you know, like, all right, I, I'm, I can do this on this scale. So I think that would be it. But I'm not like, there's a lot of friends of mine that are like, I have to direct. I was like, yeah. I don't have to direct, but I would really like to, I think I, I could do an okay job at it when it's, Quentin Tarantino had a great line because I was studying directors when I was about to do it. And so where he's like, when he did Reservoir Dogs, he's like, yeah, there's a thousand, a thousand directors that could direct a movie better than me because I never directed a movie before. But Tarantino said, but nobody could direct that movie better than me. Yeah. And I was like, so I feel like this, this movie that I wrote that is very much, you know, like uh, emotional stuff that's happened in my life. It's like, I can direct that because I know exactly in my head how the scenes go. Um, so that, so that's it. So I think that'll be something, but also just like um, the idea of having longevity uh, in the, in my career is exciting. And the, the roles, like, I don't ever want to be Brad Pitt. I don't ever want to be, I think he's incredible, but I don't ever want to have to go out my uh, house or apartment and then people are like snapping photos. Like yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't, I find that to be like the worst. I usually keep my private life incredibly private. So like, cause it's like, this is the fun part that all of us get share, And then I get to have my own stuff. Yeah. So it's like, no, um, the no, like I, I, people that can't go to the grocery store, I just feel like, I feel terrible for them. That would be, or have I mean, to have a security guard when they go yeah, anywhere. Yeah, that yeah. seems, it seems exhausting to me. Yeah. And it is. Um, and it's, you know, and you, 
<laughs> there's legitimate reason because there's fucking weirdos that I know latch on to you and and you know and people that you wouldn't expect that have like weird stalkers that are focused on them have fucking weird stalkers that are well, focused also what on you them. did in your job is every night at a certain time people feel very close with you they're going to sleep yeah. with you and you also beyond that are the person uh beside conan that is funny that is the cool fucking friend that is like the person you can relate to that is the person when like while Conan's being this, you know, uh, 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 almost like, you know, this playing the role of host, you're like the cool, fun friend that we're, we're friends with next to him, relaying on stuff. Mm-hmm. So for, I have to assume that when people meet you in real life now, or even back then, it's like, they must feel a connection to you because you're playing yourself, Andy. You're not playing like a character. You're not right. playing like a Steve Carell in the office. You're playing yourself so... I have to assume people have a feel a connection with you no matter what. Is that is that accurate or no? Yes. And I, I mean, it used to happen more when I was younger that people just. And I, you, you probably have the same thing because you have a very approachable vibe. And if you have an yeah. approachable vibe. People just think he'll want to come have a drink with us. <laughs> I know he's here with four other fr- people that are obviously his friends, but he'll want to come over here and meet Gary and Bob, you know, like. And, you, you know, and it's kind of like, no, I don't really want to meet Gary and Bob. And, uh, you know, and I'm actually kind of shy, like out in public. Like, sure. I don't I'm not I'm not a politician. You know, I'm, I mean, I can be pleasant and I can be friendly. And I I certainly it's uh, I put a big priority on politeness. But like, it's kind of like, yeah, but that's not really who I am. Like Will Ferrell, you know, is a friend of mine. And I saw him his career go from, you know, well known on SNL and then to being, you know, Will yeah. Ferrell. And it's the same thing. People just think, well, it's Will Ferrell. And, but, and it's like, whatever I get literally times a hundred, just, you know, like, just, you know, like I, I have nothing to complain about the level of like notoriety that I have. Mm -hmm. It's almost always pleasant. It's always, almost always low key. It's almost always nice. Yeah. But doesn't it feel like cool? Like the people I feel like they come up to the, the people that do what you and I do. It's like, you're cool enough to know like this alternative comedy thing is funny. Then you're, yeah. it's usually you're, uh, you're, I mean, you're not probably considered cool by your friends, but right. you're like, you get it. You're in You're we, yep. you like, we can do bits together immediately. Sometimes if I just yeah. met you for the first time. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I've, I've always said, if somebody knows me, odds are they like me. You know what nice. I mean? Like they're yeah. not like, I'm not, I'm not put in front of everybody's face. Like the guy, like somebody on the bachelor or, you know, whatever, you know, I'm, yeah, you know, it's like, you got to find me, you know, you're not, you're not stumbling across me. So, (laughs) um, yeah. And I I mean, and it's mostly, like I say, it's, it's mostly nice. It's mostly like really, I, I, I've likened it to feel you feel like a regular everywhere. You know, like when you go to the restaurant, the coffee shop that you always go to and hi, they know you by name and they're like, you know, chatting and they know kind of what, it's sort of like that, you know, like you get, you get treated nicely because people know you and they like you, you know, they have a good favorable opinion of you. And that's, it's a beautiful, but thing, also because you, know? you come across as kind. So they want to put kindness back into you. I'm sure if there's like, remember in the nineties, there's so many big movie stars that were just assholes. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine people would come to them with the same kindness that they come to you because they are probably like, Oh fuck, this person's yeah. going to take a gun. Oh and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. No, there are people. Yeah. There's people that like, 
they, you know, like I don't see anybody like running up to Robert De Niro, like with an autograph book, you know, I mean, I'm sure they do it, but it's like, you're like, you just know, like, eh, he's not going to be cool with this, you know? Like, so do you remember, I guess you can't really, I bet you can talk about it. Are there, are there, are there moments when you're in that, when you're doing Conan, that someone just a fucking asshole to you and you just, what do you do when that happens? Cause if someone's being mean to you, let's say it's in the commercial yeah. break before, what do you change the way the method that you play with in the next segment with them, or no? You don't. Your professional doesn't matter. Or no, and do you remember any I mean, stories like that of someone that you're like, this person was a fucking piece of shit, or the inverse of that, this person was so kind and you didn't see it coming? Yeah. Um. Mostly, well, mostly the people that were assholes. I just, you know, they're only there for a minute. You know what yeah, I mean? They're gone. After and I, minutes. yeah, and I can just ignore them. You know, there's. There are a couple times where, like, I got, like, I remember, uh, and I, you know, and I wasn't trying to be any particular way, but the guy, the actor Ed Burns. Oh, yeah. You know, who also, like, you know, he directed a bunch of kind of indie movies. And um, he was on the show and he was on, I think it was Saving Private Ryan. It was a, it was a World War sure. II thing. Sure. And he was talking about how, and I always found him. Um, if I whisper, he won't hear it. Um, and he was talking about doing this movie and about, and, and that how they, he and the other cast members went into like a military boot camp to do this movie. Oh yes. And I, and I was like, Conan asked him about it and they started to move on. And I, and I didn't do this very often, but I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was like, but why? Like, why do you need a boot camp? Like, what do you like? Isn't it in the script? Like, I don't understand. He's like, OK, OK, I'll explain it. And he's like, you know, we wouldn't have understood, you know, it, it created a sense of camaraderie and a sure. sense of discipline. He goes and just like, for instance, he said, like, like there was a there was a scene that we were sh where I'm like firing a gun, a rifle, and it's got blanks in it, but it, the barrel gets hot. And then we have to jump up and run out of the foxhole. And he goes, and I grabbed the barrel of the gun and it, it looked, it was really hot and burned my hand, but I had to, you know, like work through it and, and keep going, you know, like just keep going, which I was like, I, I didn't say this, but I was like, how good of a boot camp was it that they didn't teach it that the gun gets hot? <laughs> um, but he, I was like, you know, but he was kind of like pissed, pissed that I was questioning him. And then they go on and they're talking about something and he's talking about his movies and it's about, he's talking, there's something about the men, like about the men in the movies having difficulty talking about their feelings. And then he it became some sort of like, Conan, I would like to talk to you about feelings. And like, yeah, we could have a whole movie, you know, like making kind of like a gay joke a little bit, you know, like, you know, like it could be romantic between us or something. And then Ed turns to me and goes like, yeah, that sounds like the kind of movie that Andy would be great in. Like, kind of taking, trying to take a little dig at me. Right. And also, I said, by the way, of a version of the joke that we explained before is not yes. good now at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it doesn't exactly. make sense at all. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, a movie about gays? How about putting this guy in it? And, right. A and, hat on a hat of bad taste. Yes. <laughs> and I said, a hat on a hat of bad taste. Yeah. And I, and I said to him, uh, I said, oh, that sounds great. I said, as long as I don't have to go through any stupid boot camp. <laughs> and Did the audience go crazy. Yeah, they liked it. And he was pissed. And I heard out from later that he was pissed. But it's like, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, it's a talk show. I'm fucking around, you know. What's well, the inverse? Give me one of like, you like, this person was so nice. Out David of their way Bowie. nice. 
David Bowie. Oh my was god, that local. makes me so happy. David Bowie was local. Would come on, and a person like David Bowie, who really, really, really matters to me, I usually said nothing to. Same, like, I'm I the same just, way. I don't have the I'm, balls to go up to those people. I have nothing to say to you other than, gee whiz, look at you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he could not have been kinder, more normal, more fun, better sense of humor about that himself. That makes my day. Sweet, patient, just lovely. Just absolutely lovely, you know? Um so yeah, that's that's he was he's one that really sticks out as just like that's a guy that could have been the biggest dick in the world and you would have been like, all right, I Bye. get it. You're David Bowie, you can be whatever yeah. you want. But he wasn't. He was You picked just, a perfect person too. That's yeah. a that's a like icon, a legend, you know what yeah. I mean? That you're like, all right, well, even if he's a little bit prissy, it doesn't matter to me. Right. He's like a little bit mean or whatever. But the fact that he's out of his way nice is not even an ounce of prissy or mean or, uh, or exasperated. Just patient and sweet and kind. You know? Heaven. Yeah. And and change the way music is made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're getting tizzy to the end here. And, uh, you know, the last of these questions is uh, what have you learned? I mean, do you have anything in the way of advice or do you have anything that kind of like Ooh. something that's that's hit you that kind of feels like this is the point of what I've been doing? Uh, it, you mean in my career? Yeah, I think, or in your life, you know. I mean, the, however, the career informs yes. you as a person. I think that's great. I think in my life, the thing that I really try to abide by is uh, be kind to people. I just try my best to be kind to everybody. I know how much shit everybody's going through, like, and you can't see it. So I'm my my goal is always to be kind to everybody as as as, as best I can. I'm yeah. sure I'm not a hundred batting a hundred or a thousand. So it's like. But that that is a huge thing to me that I try to bring in terms of work. I do think you gotta you gotta. I worked my ass off to get where I am. There are people that were funnier than me. There are people that are more talented than me. But I'd really I had a, the the right mix of a little bit of talent, and I just worked hard. Yeah. Um. And I loved it. Follow it if you love it. I think is it is like me thinking about what we just talked about for the past hour and change. It's like. Me really working hard is because I loved it so much. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, because I, re I remember doing that thing for Conan. I don't know if you were still there. You might have been. But it's like, that was the biggest. I was so nervous yeah. to go out on stage in a robot outfit. Mm -hmm. Like, who cares? I was yeah. shitting bricks. <laughs> I was so scared. Yeah. And so it's like, and, you know, you have all those versions of that coming up and you get more comfortable. and Yeah. I think don't be afraid to fail is another thing that from what we just talked about uh, that that for me, it's like for improv, it's like get out there, improvise, take a risk, yeah. fa fail, learn from that failure, get back out again, keep yeah. doing that. And you're going to find your voice. You're going to find the things that make you laugh, follow the things that make you laugh. Those are things that I really, uh, I do uh, whatever. And being able to express your love to people, I think is yeah. a big thing. May, may have been harder for me as when I was younger, but way easier now that I'm an adult, which is funny because yeah. sometimes it's the opposite where it's like, you know, telling someone you care about them, a, a friend, uh, you know, a loved one or making sure. So. Right. Um, or just emotionality in general gets easier as you get older. You just, you know, you, tra you, you transition from kid to adult and you don't know, like, you know, like if somebody's upset, like, do I hug them? Like, you know, right. you, you're so like questioning every step of every, the, yeah. every step of everything that you do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think with what you're saying too, like one thing that occurs to me that, uh, that I always think is important is the, is like that you can make more, 
Like whatever you're doing, you can always make more. Oh, that's like interesting. I, yeah. So don't be like so precious about it almost. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, like it's like with you writing jokes for Letterman. Well, there's tomorrow. You'll write jokes tomorrow. You know, there'll be, it's not like you're going to run out. Um, and, and if you think of it that way, you won't run out. But if you're scared that somehow whatever that it is that you have to give is some finite resource, it probably will become a finite resource. Oh, wow. You know? It's almost like your self-fulfilling prophecy. I think so. I, I think, think that's so. really interesting. Yeah. I also think for writing, one of the biggest things that I think has helped me is finish things. Don't yeah. just start things, finish them. Even if it's a sketch, even if right. it's a, even if it's starting to be like, ugh, I don't think this is going to be good. Finish it. You could always rewrite it. Yeah. That's a huge thing that has helped me. I've sold a lot of a. That's excellent advice. But yeah. I really think finishing is the trick because when it's done, you have a thing. You created a yeah. thing. That's yeah. crazy. You created a world and then you can change whatever you want in it. But right. if you never finish it, it disappears and all that work went to waste. And it's it's hanging around your neck like a That's stone. Right. You know, yeah. 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 Well, let me go through some of these things. These, sure, uh, these uh, yeah, uh, 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 this is all was written for me. You wrote a movie for Searchlight Pictures during the pandemic in which you will star with Sam Rockwell. That's true. I'm doing the second draft of it right now. When it, when do you start shooting? Oh my god, Andy. If we start Never. shooting, how exciting. Yeah, I mean, the goal is the goal is hopefully uh, you know, everybody loves the next draft and then uh COVID isn't as big of a thing and we can get it together, but um that one is really exciting cuz Sam I love and I'm friends with and um I sold it a, a a while ago and I wrote a draft and they they really liked it. And then we got a, you know, this whole process is really yeah. boring, I'm sure to hear. But so that one is cooking right now. Uh, I'm currently literally behind this screen in the Zoom screen is the script for that. Because I'm literally, because I'm about to film something and I want to get a jump on all my writing. So by the time I go to film, this is something, this tells you about the work ethic. I like to bring a movie that I owe with me on shoots because I know I'm not going to be in every day unless I'm the number on the call sheet. Mm -hmm. This movie, the next movie I'm doing, I'm not. So I'll have two days off a week and those days I will spend every minute writing because I grew up Monday through Friday, you work. So Monday through Friday, even if I have a work day off of acting, I will make sure to work on my script. Oh, that's great. That's really uh, enviable, as I said before. (laughs) Um, And Space Force is coming back. Space Force comes out February 18th on Netflix. That's okay. uh, Steve Carell and John Malkovich, Tony Newsom and, and Neil Yang. And that is this that's the second season of this? Second season. Yeah. Very funny show. You provide the voice of Leonardo in Rise of the Mutant Ninja Turtles. Andy, yeah. Mutant. I play in in the so voiceover is something I've been doing since 2003 and then just in the past probably 10 years have started to like get all these roles that I when I was a kid I used to be like so I get to play Dewey in DuckTales and Leonardo and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I play Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, something I always love. You weathered the lifelike teeth controversy very well there. I think. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's very <laughs> kind. You're very kind. We really had to. We really had to stay on that boat while it rocked on those oh, shaky, so, shaky it was waves. It's just so hilarious that like the hedgehog's teeth are like a huge issue. It's like this, that was the star of the internet for a week. Do you know what's so so funny that, by the way, I did, there was a day I was doing Conan. I think it must've been the Comic-Con day. Remember when I, me and Thomas dressed up as you and. Yes. Yeah. So it was there. And then in the back, there was a Sonic the Hedgehog with a big dick. And you guys were going to do this bit where Sonic comes on. Right. And the writer have comes problems on. with the new Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was like, funny bit. Hey, man, can you wait till the day I'm not on this show to do that? Because <laughs> you guys were there for like a week. 
And the, one of the uh, writers is like, yeah, 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 we're going to do it right after you, but we'll, we'll wait, we'll wait. I was like, if you don't mind, I don't want Paramount to get upset. So they said, because it'd be weird if I did the show and then literally right, right after exactly. me, making fun You're of the things I love. You're endorsing Big Dick Sonic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, that's one of the things, like, for me, th- that I do cartoon voices, is uh, it's uh, just... Cartoon voices, game show hosting, hmm. and the fact that I got to be on a talk show and be there for the animal segments. Oh Those my are like god! The three things that like strike me as like a child. You know, like can I, can I give you my uh, so my uh, hypothesis on because I thought about because obviously I've watched a lot of late night uh, late show because of Letterman. Then I watched Conan at night, so it's like um, the thing. I was like, why do I love this so much? When Jack Hanna comes on Letterman, yeah. when you know. Why do I love it? And it's because it's it has to be spontaneous. Yeah. For the first time, there's not people looking at cards. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do. Whatever that animal decides to do, you it's have all to reaction. react. So by the way, yeah. for you, it's like heaven for you because you're built for this shit. You're built yeah. for improv. So like those segments, I always loved so much. And I was like, why do I love them? And I was like, because I don't know what's going to happen. And they're, imp- they're unpredictable. And so that was always my hypothesis why I love those segments so much is because- you're watching the host also have a real reaction and be yep. nervous. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. And I, and I too, like when there were animals on the show, I stopped being on television. I just was visiting animals. Yes. You know, like I just, I didn't, I didn't care. You know, luckily Conan was there still worrying about the quality of the show. I was just like, kitty, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And let me get these other uh, January 28th, uh, Apple TV uh, plus movie, The After Party. It's a TV show. It is. This is a big one. This is I think this will probably come out right before it, our episode. But January 28th. Yeah. January 28th, The After Party. It's Lord and Miller, who are like heroes of mine. Uh-huh. And Chris directed all these episodes. And it's a Rashomon type whodunit, but it's all comedians in it. Um, And the whole idea is someone dies. Uh, someone gets murdered at an after party of a reunion. And then every episode is someone explaining what happened from their point of view, but it's shot in a different genre of film. So yeah. like, let's say you're like the, the asshole of the group. It's shot like a Fast and the Furious movie. And then the next episode, if you're a romantic, it's shot like a romantic comedy. So oh, it's that's like, great. it's so, I'm so excited for it. And we filmed it over a year ago. So it's like, we've been waiting for it to come out for so long. The fact that it's coming out in three weeks from today is like, I can't tell you how excited I am. I'm so invested in the show. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, and we made it during COVID and it right. was during an election. It was like all this crazy shit was happening. So there's like a great feeling of love that I have for uh, Lord and Miller and Chris and all that stuff. So that's a big, big one. All of them are big, big ones. And Sonic 2 is a big, big one in Space Force. But this one's coming up first and I, and um, it's new. So it's this is the one I want to try to get people it's, to. Yeah, it sounds great. January 28th on Apple TV Plus. Yeah. The after party. So you don't have to keep out. listing stuff. This is, I feel weird. This is great. <laughs> you did no, that's great. That's all right. No, I'm done. All right, good. I'm done. I mean, you are in the Dracula movie Renfield with Nick. Oh, I know. Th- that's Aquafina. where I'm going to film. That's where I'm oh, leaving really? a couple of weeks to go film uh, Renfield. Any any fly eating on your part? Fly eating like as a bat? No, no. Like, you know, because Renfield eats flies. Oh, that's fly eating. You're talking about actual Renfield. Nicholas yeah, yeah. Holt plays Renfield. Oh, I, I play a different character. But you know who plays Dracula? Nick Cage plays Dracula. Wow. I can't wait. I yeah, cannot yeah. wait to meet Nick Cage. And Aquafina's in it. It's going to be... The script is so funny. I am so that's what I'm getting ready for. I leave in a couple of weeks to go to New Orleans. We're filming there. Oh wow! Yeah, enjoy New Orleans. 
Good food there. Wait. We're going to be there during Mardi Gras, which is crazy for me because I'm very much not that person. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Stay home. Just stay home. Well, oh. Mardi Gras, you know what? The, what's great about Mardi Gras is that there's there's not just Bourbon Street. There are parades everywhere. Yes. Um, while you're there, there's a parade called, I should just wait till off, this, off the air to do this, but there's a, I mean, I don't know what the COVID's doing to parades, but there's a parade down there called the Crew of Chewbacca's. Like Chewbacca, but Bacchus combined. Oh, it's great. It's a homemade, everybody builds their own amazing movie genre, sci-fi horror themed floats and costumes. And it's I love just this. fantastic. And it's not, you know, it's not like all this titty showing and, all, you know, and, <laughs> you know, the titties. bead exchange. Back for, to titties. Yeah, yeah. It's just fun. And there's like lots of neighborhood parades that are just it's unlike anything you'll ever I have experience. to see it. I'm there. I'll never, I, I don't know the next time I'll be there during Mardi Gras. So it's like, I've got to, yeah, I'm going to go be there. It. So it's like, yeah. I, I, and I'll have days off. So I'm like, I got to just check it out in the safest way possible. I don't want to yeah. be the person that gets COVID and then brings down the production. So right, whatever exactly. the safest way of doing it is. Don't bother with Bourbon Street. Go to the, you know, check. There's parades every day for a month. I can't really. wait. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben Schwartz, thank you so much. What a fun little chat, Andy. Yeah, and I it was. Never it really was chatted great to like talk humans. to you. This is and, great. Yes, exactly. And and thank you all of you out there for listening uh, to this episode of The Three Questions. And we'll be back next week with more. Bye. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.